0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Sub Pop Podcast. I'm Danny Marano. And I'm MK Sullivan. And today we are going to do a weekend recap rundown. I don't know, playing with some fun words there. (laughs) Results recap rundown. We got to come up with something catchy since we're going to be doing this pretty regularly. Um, well, We'll be sharing some results from the weekend of May 6th to 7th and also May 13th to 14th. And then following these recap, the recap rundown, uh, we'll have an interview with Dan Kurtz. So stay tuned for that. All right. So starting with May 6th to May 7th, uh, we had the Transvolcania 50k. So this was the shortest distance on that race day in Transvolcania. Uh, this is in the Canary Islands. Uh, so For the UTMB series, just a reminder: in these races, if they aren't a major, um, the top three on both the men's and women's side earn their spots to OCC. So, on the women's side, we had uh, South Africa's Tony McCann, who's also one of my Tarek's teammates. She won uh, in 4:49, and second place was actually another one of my teammates, Amelia. Bring Lafault. Um, she is new to the team, and this was kind of her team debut, uh, so it was really cool to see her up there. Uh, she was actually leading most of the race until probably like the last 10K or so, uh, she said the heat had gotten to her. And then on the men's side, uh, from Spain, the winner was Dimas Pereira, dang it, I'm sorry, <laughs> um, and he won in 420.
1: Yeah. It, uh, it looked hot out there, like everybody's pictures and really yeah. is from Sweden too. So I like, I know that when I raced, um, a couple of the Norwegian women last year at Marathon du Mont Blanc, like they were hot. So I can't even imagine how Transvolkania felt coming from Sweden. Oh yeah, no, I'm sure.
0: And on the men's side, I mean, it was Spain and first Portugal, Andre Rodriguez, and then it went Spain, Spain. So I think definitely being from that part of the world this time of year, uh, has a huge advantage when it comes to the heat.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, the other race that we had happen this weekend was the 2023 USATF trail marathon championships, um, breakneck point marathon, Uh, This was also a qualifier, the final qualifier for the short trail team that goes to Austria uh, for the marathon distance uh, just a couple weeks from now. And that race was also coupled with the Golden Trail Series half marathon, which Danny and I just found out um, you could finish in the half marathon on your way to the full marathon. So it's a little confusing, but a lot of the people that were in the results for the half are also in the results for the full, Um, even though it was on the same day, same time. And so um, your new Team USA qualifiers from the full marathon, uh, winning his first national championship is Garrett Corcoran. And second place behind him was Liam Mayrow, I believe yeah, or sorry, no, Jackson Brill, Jackson Brill, who is from Bend, Oregon. And then on the women's side, Brittany Charbonneau is your 2023 US marathon champion. And behind her was Bailey Kowalczyk. And in third place again was Claire Rhodes this time around. Um, But the resume spots have also been announced this year and Claire Rhodes and Jennifer Lichter will be on the marathon team. and. Liam Mayrow and, oh, sorry, I'm looking at the wrong team right now. So we got Seth Rowling and Max King as the resume spots for the men's side. Um, so that was an exciting last qualifier. Um, I don't know that either of us got any of those right when we were doing our
0: <laughs> yeah. uh, review. Well, it was kind of funny. Well, we both said Bailey to win. uh, And she was leading most of the race until I think like the last four or five miles in her body just hit a big bonk. Um, Not just like that; that's what happened. And so Brittany came in, steamrolled and and got that win. Uh, Brittany was, I think my predicted third. Uh, So congrats to Brittany on, on sticking it. Your nose in it till the end. You just, the race isn't over till it's over. Um, and a lot can happen in those last few miles, especially if someone's like starts going backwards. And then on the guy's side, we both kind of had our doubts that Garrett was even going to go run. And then he goes and <laughs> <laughs> wins. Um, and from talking to him first, for both of us personally, uh, he kind of moved up in the later stages of the race. Um, he actually was warming up to the start line and got there like 30 seconds before it even started because he and a friend, I think Michael Mike Sincere, uh, Yeah. Mike Sincere had parked their car just a little bit too far. Um so I'm he wasn't showing any stress, but I was like when he was telling that
1: story, I was like stressed internally for him. <laughs> I know I I like I would have been at the line just I would have been sprinting. It, yeah it's yeah. too much for me. <laughs> And then, um, the, the half marathon was part of the golden trail national series and the winners of that race were actually the Hemmings who, if you have been keeping up with the podcast, we have interviewed before, if not go check it out. And, uh, next up in the golden trail national series for the U S is broken arrow, which is June 17th, I believe. So yeah, we're getting started.
0: Yeah, it's shaping up to be a really good series so far. Um, so in total, the 40K team is Craig Hunt, Jonathan Aziz, Garrett Cochran, Jackson Brill, and then as MK just mentioned, Max Keane and Seth Ruling. And then on the female side, Jennifer Lichster, uh, Claire Rhodes, Bailey, Kowalsik, oh my gosh, sorry, Kowals- Bailey, Kowals- <laughs> Kowals- <laughs> MK. Sullivan, the one and only, uh, Kimber, Maddox, and Brittany Charbonneau. And something that I noticed in here is that actually most of the team is between the ages of 24 and 34. Um, And then Max Keen is kind of the outlier. So a lot of people in like their late 20s uh, to early 30s.
1: Yeah, it's going to be an awesome team. I'm excited.
0: Yeah, that women's team is a weapon. And we'll definitely dive more into a preview in a couple of weeks. Yes.
1: So moving on to the weekend of 513 to 514, we have the infamous Zagama Isaacori. And that was the first event in the Golden Trail National, no, sorry, World Series. (laughs) And um, it was wild. Danny. you want to talk about Zagama? (laughs) Yeah. So
0: they, funny enough, put like this photo out, I think like the day or two before of Caitlin Fielder, who we'll talk about in a second. And she kind of has like this, it looks like it's out of like a fantasy novel, like Harry Potter-esque. And she's like pulling this lever lever on whether it's going to be rain or sun. uh, Because what makes Zagama Zagama sometimes is the weather like it can be pouring in the way that that dirt is like it just makes it super slippery all the granite is like on it's like you're on ice basically because <laughs> it's so slippery and the mud like gets sticky um or it could be sunshine like it was last year and then crazy records are set because you know the course itself is actually quite fast and everything's packed down that's all to say it ended up being pretty much a, a storm the entire time. Uh, so the times were a little bit slower this year. Um, but someone who wasn't in neither mine, MK's or Sarah's prediction, uh Daniela Omis from Germany actually won the entire thing in 431.54. Uh, this time, I thought was really impressive because she actually would have gotten fourth overall last year compared to last year's conditions um I actually had a chance to meet Daniela last year at the Golden Trail World Series final she was representing that national series um result because there's two different sets of results her area and she had gotten fourth in the national series and this year she comes out with a bang and wins the whole thing in the first world series
1: pretty big deal <laughs> and and to be fourth like last year last year was historic all three of the uh, the top 3 women broke the previous course record so that's crazy stuff especially yeah. with those conditions <laughs>
0: Yeah, and from what I was seeing online too is like she wasn't really in the mix uh, until after that really big climb that's famous that has everyone kind of screaming. Uh, And so she started moving up around there and then held that uh, until the end.
1: Yeah, it looked awesome.
0: Yeah, Um, so then in second was a friend Uh, my friend, I was going to say friend of the pod, Caitlin Fielder. uh, She's from New Zealand, but she lives in Spain. She ran 4.34.04. Also a great time that also would have gotten her fourth last year. Um, She ran really strong. Uh, She was kind of in the mix from the get-go and then got a second wind and it was able to uh, kind of uh, keep everyone off of her so she can uh, finish that second place. Uh, she also was six overall in the Golden Trail World Series and has one podium up until this point. So now she has two second places in the series, one of them being last year, Mont Blanc Marathon. In third was Therese Buff She's from Switzerland. She ran 41. Um Would have been like in the top 10 last year. Very respectful time. Um, and this, I believe was her first podium in the Golden Shore World Series, which from personal experience is like such, it's such a cool feeling to like, feel like you're, you're on the podium of such a big race series. And then uh, fifth was actually all of our calls for who was going to be winning the whole thing was Blondine. She is from France. She ran 4.48.32. Also very respectful time, um, especially considering the conditions. And to no surprise, she actually mentioned that she's training. She was training through this race for the world's long trail championships.
1: You know, just a, a supported long run at Zugama.
0: <laughs> yeah. Fifth place. No big deal.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think she was up in the mix for a while for first, but then on the final descent, she kind of got overtaken pretty hard. But yeah, she's still blending and she still crushes.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, still amazing. F- top five uh, in the first Golden Trail World Series of the year.
1: Do you want to go over the men? Sure. So in first place, we had Manuel Mar- Marias uh, from Spain, and he is like fairly local to the area, kind of like Sarah. So I think he's run this race uh, a lot and also trained out here. He was third at Zagama last year, and he also won OCC, um, which is <laughs> insane, but he's very good. Uh, Danny has a little bit of like a tidbit about his time <laughs> at the Golden Trail Final, because uh, he was was he in the top five coming, or maybe even top three coming into the series before it started?
0: Yeah, I think he was like top five, and he was someone that everyone kind of had their eye on as you know someone to potentially win the whole thing, uh, given his great run at OCC and in Norway. Um, and anyway, so on the first day, he actually took, and you'll see in some Zagama photos, he has actual bamboo. Uh, sticks as his poles. He makes them. He makes them, yeah. And he always uses them. And so on the first stage, he (laughs) used them, but the rule was that you couldn't have any poles. And his argument was that these aren't poles. These are bamboo sticks. These, are, these aren't these are poles. He unfortunately lost that <laughs> argument and was disqualified from the first day. And he really needed those points if he wanted to be in contention uh for the podium spot. With that being said, he still raced really well. Also kind of just like a fun fact and something to look out for is he'll actually take like real fruit with him in his belt and i just think this is awesome so uh in Madeira, he had like an actual banana and tangerines and we were seeing photos of him and like him at the start line we're like how is he like unpeeling a banana because this guy he's monstrous on the downhills like he literally It seems like he's barely even touching the ground when he runs downhill, very Killian-esque. And we're like, and he's peeling bananas. This guy is on another level. (laughs) How you can't make this up. Uh, And just the best thing of all is he's just very, very, very nice guy. Very respectful to everybody. Um, So definitely a fan favorite amongst the athletes as well.
1: (laughs) Sometimes I don't even like to have a water bottle in my hand when I'm running downhill Yeah. So (laughs) Peeling a banana. (laughs) A little banana. Yeah. That's crazy. So in second place, uh, was Elhazine Elazoui, uh, from Morocco. Um, Elhazine is pretty much always in the top 10 at, at golden trail races. Like when he's out there, he was fourth at Marathon du Mont Blanc last year and second overall in the 2022 standings. Um, and third was John Albin who was second or did he win CCC last year?
0: Yeah, he was a uh, second behind Petter.
1: Yes. Okay. So John Alvin was second at CCC last year. He won Mont Blanc marathon. He um, also did really well at the race in Norway. He also lives in Norway, trains with Killian. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, And he'll be on the UK short trail team this year. Fourth was Remy Bonet, who, if you follow the golden trail series, you will know because he won overall last year. Um, He shot off like a rocket and led all the way through 30k before kind of blowing up. Um, but blowing up to fourth place really isn't that bad. <laughs> and then uh Robert Kimboy, who um I think also went out with Remy early in the race. Last year he he went out on his own and tried to lead the race and died. So at least this year he was with somebody else, but still to get fifth at Zagama is huge, especially on a day that was so so messy um so that's your top five for zagami isaacori yep
0: and so then, then yeah you got next it. we have uh the sky race this dish mathesines i think uh <laughs> I was telling MK before this, I really need to brush up on other languages. I'm terrible linguist. Um, that was my best guess. And this was the second brace of the Sky Running series last time we reviewed uh, Calamoro. Um, and so on the men's podium, uh, first was Fred uh Ranchard, and he is from France, and he represents uh, Scott Running, and he won in 225. What's a fun fact about Fred is that he's also an, an orienteering world champion. Um, he's also dabbled quite a bit in the Golden Trail World Series. Uh, very fun guy, very nice. Uh, so it was cool to see him on top of the podium there. Um second place was Roberto Delorenzini. He actually uh won the whole series last year in 2022 and was third in 2021. Um so very strong sky runner. He runs for Brooks. He ran uh, a 2:29:20, uh, so about 4 minutes off of Fred. And then third was Antonio. Um uh Antonio Martinez uh he was third and he was second in OCC last year so again very strong runner so this to me was actually a very good podium on the men's side uh for a sky running race uh, that kind of had guys with top results from kind of all over um and then on the women's side we had um Clementine uh, Geoffrey Geoffrey. Uh, She's French. Uh, I believe this was her, one of her first sky races. I need to get fact checked on that. Um, But she ran 254.07. I didn't really have a lot of information on her before this. Uh, Second place was Naomi. She is also a it looks like she's a French runner, Naomi Vachon, uh, and she's going to be representing the French team, I believe, in Innsbruck this year, uh, along with one of my friends on the series, Lucille Germain. And then third place was an American, Hillary Girardi, um, and she's done the Sky Running series uh, a couple of times. Does a lot of series, a lot of those races in the series. Very strong Sky runner. Uh, she represents Scarpa.
1: Nice. And then we have two more, um, races. You, we have uh, Snowdonia UTMB and ultra trail Australia. Um, the 50 K distance again for OCC and it's Snowdonia Tom Evans, um, was the winner for the day in the 50 K with a five hour and 27 minute finish. And Joanna Gelfren of Sweden was the year winner on the women's side. Um, in six hours and 46 minutes, and both of them won handily, it looked like. Tom yeah. Evans, 25 minutes ahead. Joanna, 30 minutes ahead.
0: Yeah, they definitely were up in the front quite a bit. Uh, and it looks like a lot of that typical kind of fell running terrain, uh, very wet, uh, kind of boggy, etc., And then our last race was Ultra Trail Australia. This is a newer race to the UTMB series. I don't think it was part of it last year. They also had a 50K. Um, And the winner on the men's side was Blake Turner. Uh, So he ran 420. And then on the women's side, uh, the winner was ha Hao Ha, she's from Vietnam and she won in 447. And she was only 10 minutes off the, the third place guy. So, a reminder for the Transfocania, Snowdania, and Ultra Cher Australia, all those top podiums, top threes uh, will earn their spots to OCC. Though, you know, like Tom Evans, I'm not sure if he's going to be running it. <laughs> so we'll see. And it doesn't yeah, roll he's, down.
1: He's running Western States this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was probably like his tune up or whatever.
0: Yeah, <laughs> little workout or he had to get his stone. So yeah. fun fact, if you are on the podium for OCC, CCC, UTMB or TDS last year, um, you have to get one stone and it doesn't matter what place you get in that race. You just have to get the stone. It doesn't have to be top three. Uh, So my guess is he was doing something like that and then also doubled it as a training run. So yeah, that was our race results rundown. Uh, Now stay tuned to listen to our interview with Dan Kurtz, the recent US champ
1: in the up-down. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Subhub podcast. I'm MK Sullivan. And I'm Danny Moreno. And today with us, we have Dan Kurtz. Originally a distance standout from rural Maine, he now lives in Norwich, Vermont, and has become one of the best sub ultra distance athletes in the U.S. He first shot onto most people's radars when he placed second in the U.S. Vertical Champs last year at Loon Mountain behind multiple time world champion Joe Gray. Um, Last month, Dan was second American at the Vertical Champs at Seneby Scramble, but came back the next day and won the Classic Mountain Race Champs pretty uh, handily. And uh, he will be representing the U.S. at the World Mountain Running Championships in Austria next month. And I must add that Dan was my athlete to look out for this year. And uh, so far, I'm beating Danny. So welcome, Dan.
2: (laughs) Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. Super excited to be on, on the pod.
1: Yeah. We're super
0: excited to have you as well. Um, kind of as MK said in the intro, at least for me, you were not a name that I really knew until more so this year, I had heard your name a little bit, but like as someone to watch out for, cause sometimes people will come and run these races like once, you know, and they don't, you don't know if they're going to like commit to the sport. So it's great to see you back and, uh, getting your first U S championship.
2: Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, uh, I guess last spring kind of decided I've always, this is always the kind of the stuff i wanted to do. And then last spring, uh, decided to, you know, actually kind of jump in a bit and then had some success at, uh, at Loon and then was like, all right, well, I guess, uh, this is something I should do more of. And then, yeah, kind of just, uh, snowballed from there, you
1: know. it worked out for you because you got to go to Italy last year for Challenge Selena and then you went to Thailand for World Champs and then you come back and you're a US champion and now you get to go to Innsbruck, Austria for World Champs. So, I think it was a good decision to stick to the trails.
2: <laughs> yeah, but it was also like very very quick cuz all of a sudden I was like, oh, like, you know, let's do this race. And I'd actually done Whiteface the week before Loon as well and DNF'd because I had no idea what was going on. Like I was cramping so early in the race and basically walked up to the top. It was a, it was a very hard climbing race. So like the third mile, I think I had like 1800 feet of climbing, for example, Ouch. And like it was just tough. And I was not ready for that. And basically got up to the top of the mountain and, uh, just walked off the course, got in the gondola, got back down and was like, well, I'm uh, not doing any more of this. And Eric Lipuma convinced me. He was like, what are you doing? Just run Loon the next weekend. Um, So then I I ran Loon and still went in, was like, I would like to try to win or like race to be up there kind of thing. Um, And then it went well. And then all of a sudden he was like, okay, you can go to this team to Italy. And I was like, what? (laughs) And they also selected... It wasn't an auto qualifier for Worlds, but then um, it was a resume spot that I ended up getting um, based on Loon. And then, yeah, all of it just kind of started happening quickly. And then, yeah, most everything has changed since since then. It's been kind of interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah. So did you sign with Brooks after uh, going to worlds? how did um, How did that happen? Cause you weren't sponsored prior to the U S champs last year. Right.
2: So, so I had like a little shoe deal with, uh, Deodora, which is like this Italian shoe brand. Um, but it definitely wasn't like an, like a real, like athlete sponsorship kind of thing. Um, and then. Yeah. Loon went well and I'd had like a good like resume on the track and stuff or not not great, but fine. And then um basically Loon went well, went to Italy, and then I was like on the world team. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna start blasting out emails to, you know, um different shoe companies and trying to figure out who team managers and stuff, cause I, I didn't think Loon was like what I was good at. I always thought like if it was descending and technical and like that kind of stuff is what I felt like I was good at based on nothing at all because you're just running alone in the woods mostly. And you're like, Oh, I feel like I'm so fast, but there's no point of like, it's relative to nothing. Um, so I was like, well, if I can do well at Loon, I think I can do well at other races. And I was like, I should try. I would like to be working with some company. So I reached out to a bunch of companies, um, got mostly nothing, but had been talking with Brooks, For quite a bit. And then yeah, that ended up happening right at the end of the year. Um, so basically like as of January one, um, was with Brooks. Uh yeah. Basically that's how it happened, I guess. After after worlds.
0: (laughs) No, that's awesome. I mean, I feel like a lot of people's goals in this sport or one of the goals is to get a sponsorship. So it's cool that you're able to partner with a company um, like Brooks, just like from the get-go. And it seems to be like you're happy with them.
2: Yeah, no, I really like them. I like the way they handle like social media with the athletes. I like the way they, I like the way they operate. Um, And I always have like, even from the track side of things. And I was a little, I didn't know their like trail side. I also didn't really know trail running was, much of a thing until probably like 2 years ago where you could like oh like you could do this um and when i started thinking that way i was having a very tough time giving a shit about racing on the track cuz i was like i would so much rather be doing this stuff um and yeah yeah i think i think the year ended up kind of coming together okay cuz i did a couple of these other races so i did like Waterville Valley is like a classic. Um they host USAs a lot of years for like the classic mountain race. Um and then I did some races around here uh locally that all went quite well, I thought. Um I did a hard time trial on Lock, which is like I, I live where like Dartmouth College is. Um and so there's a super historic time trial they do up that uh like twice a year every year for the last 50 something years or something ridiculous, or since the 50s, it's crazy. Um, so I had all, I felt like those kept going quite well, but they were like, you know, it's not a golden trail race. It doesn't, it's kind of quiet. Um, so it was nice at Worlds. I ended up falling into a spot on the classic team. Um, so it was nice to like finish as like the top American at the classic race and stuff. I felt like it kind of. I don't know. it it went solidly, so I was glad it didn't just like completely flop, <laughs> I guess,
1: yeah, it's kind of crazy. The East Coast seems to have these like really historic, short, fast trail races that, like nobody knows about. And they're so yeah. cool, like you have Mount Washington, you know, and like talking with the um the guys who put on Sunapee, they put on all these really cool, like classic and and vertical races. And, yeah, I feel like we're really missing out on just like, really getting those into the the scene of like golden trail and stuff. So it was cool to see like breakneck to have marathon being in the national series this year, just to like give the East coast some, some love.
2: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause I like it's, it's, I think it has a lot of love on like the lower level, but it's like, whenever you start talking about elites, it's like everything seems really saturated in like certain towns. Um, and I think there's a lot of cool stuff that's out here. That's like uh, certainly much more sky running like, I think. So if you, if you wanted to do like, there's a bunch of places you can get a super steep gnarly ascent, like right from town. I mean, I, I think that's kind of the cool stuff. There's like, I can get a V like a true VK a handful of places around. And th- those are typically pretty tough to find. I think, um, yeah yeah. i I can't find
1: any near my house they're like i have a ton that are really close but none that are like yeah perfect vk
2: well it's interesting like the other day i went up that same mountain musalak from the other side and it was like 3300 feet of climbing and like three and a half miles or 3.6 and i was like dang that's like pretty legit like i I think of it as like this dinky mountain but it's like pretty pretty full-on um so, so yeah i think there's I just think there's more room for everyone to kind of train everywhere. And it's, it is interesting that it's so saturated in certain places right now. I hope that shifts, I guess.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there's still kind of those epicenters in the Mecca's uh, Flagstaff and Boulder. And then now there's like these new cities where, you know, like Salt Lake, um, there's like different groups that meet up and stuff to run. Uh, So I think getting out of the city centers is, is tough, but I do like how people are starting to mix it up. I just drove across the country and it was cool just to like run the different trails, like as I was yeah. going across and like have the different technicality and stuff. And yeah, as yeah. you go more East, just like everything's just kind of wet all the time and humid, which makes it super slippery. Um, So yeah, I definitely have a strong appreciation for that as does MK as well. So just, um, just to back it up a little bit. So I just want, I was watching you on the live stream, Dan, on the classic day, and you were just bombing on that downhill. Like I, I, this doesn't mean much, but like I was very, or maybe it does mean something. I don't know how to say this, but I was just very, because I've seen a lot of Europeans descend technical terrain and they're kind of, that's like their niche, like what they're kind of known for, one of the many things they're known for. And I feel like you can really hold your own in like a European race. And I was looking at your PR. So just for the listeners out there and let me know if these are correct. So 1343 in the 5K, k um, I almost saw like you're four flat in the mile, like you were right there.
2: Yeah, so those are college PRs. So I, I ran, uh I ran 359. I ran thirteen thirty-eight a couple times. Um, yeah, the so sub four miler, sub four me.
0: miler, nice. Yes, I, you I have.
2: I left a lot on the table on the track. I felt like I kept being like much more fit than I was running. So like I would have, especially like right as COVID started. It's like when I ran sub four or whatever. We were just getting ready for like pointing towards the Olympic trials, and it was just like oh like. I haven't actually run under four. It's the last like meet of the indoor season. Um, like just jump in the mile and I ran under four. It's like, okay, cool. But even then I was like, my heart wasn't in the track. So like I was supposed to have that weekend completely off. My coach was telling me to take it off. And then I was like, well, I was training in Seattle with this little pro group out there. And I was like, but what does off mean? And so then I was like in Seattle, it was the end of February. And I was like, I haven't seen snow in months. Like, kind of going crazy. And so, I drove out of Seattle both days and ran for like four hours in the snow the first day, three hours in the snow the second day. Like, yeah, I, I felt like I was just leaving a lot on the table fitness wise. And I just couldn't like maximize because I just didn't care about it enough, I guess.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. I feel that's pretty common with uh, a lot of trail runners in that they, you know, it's kind of hard because it, it's cool to have like those flashy PRs and they don't always they're not always there, right? But like when you're racing against people, you're like, oh, I could run so much faster, but the trails are just so much more fun, at least to you me. Know. Yeah.
2: Words, it's frustrating.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to, yeah. hard to balance for sure. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I don't know. I think some of the more technical, like or scarier descents, I think are just so much fun. I don't know. Like I grew up. I think basically, basically only running in the woods in Maine, and then um, yeah, I think through college as I started doing runs with like more people, I kind of started piecing together like if I go on a run with someone who's like super fit and very good at running, but then if it was like too hilly or like are too many rocks or something, I would always kind of like have like a significant upper hand. I felt like, but then. Um, Yeah. I think there've just been a couple occasions in the last year doing stuff where it's like, okay, I think I'm quite good at descending. And I would, I think my goal right now is to be like the best descender of people who can also climb quite well. I think, I think that's kind of the way you have to race. If you are going to be good in Italy, I mean, Europe. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where I stack up on stuff. There's a couple times this winter where I just kept trying to do stupid kind of descents on every terrain, because I was like, Sonopy is going to be terrible, like footing. Like none, of, none of it's going to be reliable. Like there's no way it's not muddy or icy. Um, I think many other years it would have been icy, but whatever. Um, so I was training in flag for a couple of weeks this winter. I just like drove the van out there. And one of the days I did a workout on the snow bowl, like up on the ski resort. Cause it was the only good footing I could find like on the snow was the best footing I could find in town. That was like, not just post holing through snow or like nothing was clear. And so I did one workout, <laughs> like the last rep, um, I went like up a couple of reps and then down and then up a couple of reps and down. And the last rep, I think it was like 1.4 miles. And it was like, 356 average or something down the (laughs) back down the (laughs) mountain because it's like on the snow and I was like just trying to get my head wrapped around feeling comfortable on snow um which was nice because then some of you had sections of snow and sections of mud and yeah 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 it
1: had a mix of all of it
2: (laughs)
0: Yeah, it was cool. I really wish I was there not to compete. I would have been dead, but just like to run the course and try it out. Cause it looked like a lot of fun. Um, so where do you think before we kind of dive more into your training? Cause we're really interested about, in, about that. Um, where do you kind of think that like athleticism or agileness, if that's a word comes from, if, or did you just run growing up or did you do other sports?
2: Yeah, no, I did other sports. Um, most like the classic sports I did baseball basketball um played a lot of basketball growing up um but before like more organized sports it was always just kind of outside like my cousin was like my age and early on my I lived at their house my like cousin's house with my aunt and uncle and stuff and they have like this big property um in Surrey Maine and just all forest and. Uh, like goes up to the ocean. And so like, all we would do was just run around like to like little idiot kids in the woods. And, um, yeah, that's basically all we would do. Um, and then, and then, yeah, like started playing like normal competitive sports and was always super into that. But then, uh, my uncle, that uncle was the high school, like track and cross country coach and stuff. And so then, um, just kind of fell into that. Cause like when I was little, he would like, I would be with him for the weekend or something and he would just go to a road race. And so I'd be like, all right, going to the road race. And, um, yeah, kind of fell into that. And then basically in middle school, my mom was like, yeah, so this is how you go to college basically. If, if you want that. And I was like, okay. And so that was kind of the plan from like seventh grade on basically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just keep running. Yeah, it sounds like you. It sounds like you basically just were like the Killian Journey of the East Coast, like running around the the forest from the time you were a small child, getting those skills in early. (laughs) I
2: think think that's generous. I think really what it is is I'm like way too ADHD, and (laughs) most things are like if you just run on a rail trail or something, and even if it's like nice and pretty, and it's just like I feel bored the whole time, and so when I'm actually on a trail and you having to think and like dance your feet around the whole time it's like oh i'm actually engaged and not bored and not like thinking about other things and your head's everywhere else um i think that's probably it's more of like a you know it's a more of a bug that i have than anything else
1: <laughs> well it seems to be working so i so i have a question because you were just talking about how you were in seattle uh, training and you were like, I haven't seen snow in a while. I got to go run in the snow. And I have this question written down that like I've seen on Instagram that you do a ton of trail running in the snow in Vermont. Cause you know, East coast winters are brutal. Do you just run all year round? Or do you add like cross training in, or are you just like, Nope, gotta be on the snow <laughs> in my trail shoes?
2: Uh, yeah. So this is maybe another weird one. Uh, I don't know growing up that's what I would love to do like especially in the winter the forest is so cool and so I would just like pack a bag of like dry clothes and like I don't know bring my dog I had like a husky growing up and we would just like go walk through the woods for I don't know I'd just be way too bored on the weekend or something (laughs) and so I'd be like bring dry socks and a different pair of pants or something because I would Inevitably, like fall into a stream or something in the winter, and I don't know. I, I think I just love the woods in the winter, and so then, um, I think if the if the theory is that like fitness is fitness, and especially on the trail, it's like there's no real like pace specificity you need to train for. It's like aerobic ability. I think really helps for the most part, especially off season. Like you're so far from any race specificity, it's like. I don't know if you just go move around for a while, it doesn't really matter what you're doing, I think. Um, and yeah, so I've never cross trained before this year, this winter, I tried to teach myself how to cross country ski and like do some skimo stuff. Um, but had no idea what I was doing. Um, there's, I'm really lucky that right here, there's a ton of cross country skiing. I think there's something like, 200k of groomed ski trails within like 30 minutes of me or something like that. It's like every I don't know, everyone here skis and has it, the the number of ski olympians in town is just bizarre. Um I think Norwich holds the distinction of having like the most olympians per capita of anywhere in the world. It's like this super weird stat cuz everyone does ski jumping or cross country skiing or something. Um yeah, I don't know. I like I love running in the winter in the snow and stuff. Like, it's yeah. hard. You go super slow, but it doesn't really matter, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I do have a bunch of really dumb videos on my phone of me running in the snow. Like, there was a couple times I wanted to like post some stupid reel of just like blasting through like three feet of powder or something because um, it's. <laughs> super like the descents are completely in con like there's no consequence to falling like you can just run like an idiot any line you want and just fall and it's fine exactly
1: <laughs> yeah this was the first winter that I had to like really like train on I didn't have to train on snow but like if I wanted to be on trails I had to be on the snow and it was like a learning curve for sure to just be like, MK, slow down. Like it does not matter. You're still moving. Just like keep your heart rate up and you'll be fine because I know Danny does that all the time in the winter in mammoth, but Reno, you can usually find some dry trails, but this year yeah. it was like impossible.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know any different so far. Cause I've only had three winters and the first winter I was running on snow. And then this winter, it was a little hard at some points where I was like literally, you know, up to your knees, like you said. And I had to, I would like get on the treadmill for workouts, but I remember talking to my coach, Terry, before my half marathon, he's like, I have no idea of what shape you're in. Cause you're out running like 20 minutes per mile in the snow. And he's like, and you have two treadmill workouts a week and you're hitting the pace, but like, that's only two days. And your average pace is something that he looks at for your whole week is like 15 minutes. a the And then <laughs> I like PR'd in my half by like minutes, you know, and was under 73. And he's like, I have no explanation for that. I was like, I told you the snow makes you strong. Like if you come, it like teaches you to pick up your knees and it's soft and like, it's not, but anyways, I'm a big snow fan as, as well. So that's really cool. <laughs>
2: well, so I think it does speak to that. Like, I don't know if you see again on any, there's so many mountain runners that are so good that spend basically all winter, especially in Europe, spend all winter, just skiing. And so you're like, okay, skiing, if skiing works, running in the snow is closer to running, like, right than skiing. And so how would it not work? But then I had the exact same issue. Like I've never trained like this over the winter at all. And I was trying to just like do more volume and do like all these like super slow, like long kind of days, long days for me was like, you know, the first time I did like a two and a half hour thing on trail, I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> um, but then, yeah. So like there was a couple weeks in Flagstaff, honestly, within like, probably like a month or five weeks out from Sunapee, where I like didn't run once in the week. And cause like access to running was quite bad and frustrating there. And then like, um, so yeah, to Danny's point, I got, I was driving back, did tried to do a workout in Tulsa that should have been like totally doable for me. It was supposed to be like 12 by K in like three to three Oh five or something on like, um, I don't remember if it's like 92nd jog or whatever it was, but it was like a workout I've done much, like should totally be able to do easily. And C- couldn't touch it, like not even close. And so I was like, "Oh, I'm in terrible running shape." And I was like, "Sunapee's so short and like not that climby. I'm gonna get totally worked." Um. So I don't know. I had genuinely no idea what was gonna happen at Sunapee. I-, I thought maybe I'm shooting for top ten. Maybe I'm shooting. I, I don't. I have no idea what's gonna happen.
0: <laughs> um. Yeah, I think trail running is kind of fun like that. You never know until the day of or if you have some sort of really hard effort. And maybe that's why it's kind of healing, I think, for a lot of people who have been stuck to the track for so long and it's so metrics driven and it's like very much more times than not A plus B equals C. Um, and sometimes you get a little bit more than C, but with the trails, you show up and you're like, well, we're gonna see how this is gonna go. because There's no reference except maybe if you like go for like a Strava or like FKT, you know, that other people have done. Um, as far as your training, do you write your own training? Do you have a coach?
2: Yeah, yeah. So my coach right now is Ben True. Um he's very, I guess it's a trail specific podcast. So um Ben is very, very successful on the track and road for the last probably 15 years. Um, he's run like 1302 in the 5K and like 2714 for 10K. Uh, very, very accomplished. Um, but he was a cross country skier for a long time and then professional runner. Um, so I think the cross country, and his wife is a two time like Olympian in the triathlon. Um, so I think between like understanding triathlon training, ski training, and then like track stuff, um, I think he has like a very good ability to kind of blend concepts and like how it actually probably applies to trail stuff. Um, so yeah, he's, we've just been basically collaborating on, but m- you know, mostly collaborating, I guess mostly he's, you know, actually writing this stuff, but there's been a bunch of days where I'm like, okay, in Thailand, I got beat by this guy who just like, you know, like he he can't run, but like in this vertical race, like he's just crushing me because like, it's so much more aerobic. But if like, if we raced a 10 K, I'd beat him by like three minutes or something. Like it's so, it's so frustrating. Um, so I'm like, I think we, we have to change like this stuff and like, why do you think this? And, um, yeah. I've I've been liking it so far.
1: <laughs> so it's a bit collaborative. He helps you with like the the flat stuff, and and you give some feedback on like how how you feel. It might be better if you do this in order to get ready for like mountain training.
2: Yeah, and basically like I don't know when he was doing cross country ski training, he would they would do these like four or five hour like OD training runs that you're like in the mountains for four or five hours here, and you're just like going super slow. And, uh, I don't know, basically you want your heart rate super low the whole time. So basically if you're going up steep and Rocky stuff, you're probably hiking. If It's flat and downhill. You're probably jogging, but we, I started doing those basically right after Thailand. Um, and it was super hard. Like the differences in training between track and trail stuff is like so tough to wrap my mind around sometimes. Uh, I think I've done a good job now, but definitely took me kicking my ass a handful of times being like, Whoa, that was way too hard. Like you can't run that hard for three, three and a half hours and like come back and still do quality training on the other side. Um, so yeah, learning how to eat when you're training is weird learning how to try to sustain more volume in the week has been weird. Um, yeah, after Thailand, I just tried to start like doing a lot of that stuff where it's like, okay, you know, 65 to like 80 miles a week of running is not what is going to get you good at this. I don't think. Um, and so I just started doing these like weird adventures of like, oh, this sounds exciting. And like, I think I'll probably be out for like three to four hours. Like, let's go do that. And so it was winter. So none of, some of them weren't that fun, but I'd like pack a bag and put like a bunch of bagels in there and like bike out to some mountain. And then you're like, okay, this trail is, you cannot bike it. So then you just jog up and then jog back and bike back. And all of a sudden you've been out and your heart rate's been elevated for a couple hours. And yeah, just trying to figure it out still, I think.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's all a puzzle constantly. And I think that's why the sport is so fun, right? The challenges and the variables are changing every single race, like you got it unless you're running that race again. But even if you run the race again, if you ran Zagama last year, it was hot and humid. If you ran Zagama this year, it was rainy and muddy and like a whole different, you know, set of skills were required. So I think that's why it's so engaging. Um, just out of curiosity, has Ben true coach any other trail athletes or are you the only athlete?
2: He coaches like a handful of probably more than a handful of people at the moment. Um, I'm definitely the only one like focusing on trail when we um he was coaching me like when I was on the track um and so then I I don't know we also do like a bunch of trail stuff here as well it's so, like I ran 15 and a half miles with Ben yesterday morning on we, we we're very lucky in like the amount of dirt roads we have here they're Unbelievable. Like we did 15 and a half yesterday morning with 2,200 feet of climbing, like just on dirt roads here. Um, so I, I think we do end up doing a lot of trail stuff. Um, and so I don't think the transition was super hard initially um, because, yeah, if, if we just ran flat all the time, it would be tough. But um, I don't think it was a crazy change initially. but he, yeah, no, I'm the only trail person he's coaching at the moment, but, but yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's how I got into trail running too. And I'm sure Danny has like a kind of similar experience where like, we both live in places where when we were in college, where trails were like really accessible. And so we just, on our easy days, we trained on the trails and then we came back and did, you know, track workouts and stuff. yeah, uh, Cause prior to that, before I moved out here, I didn't. I had no clue what trail running was, <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think that it, it really helps even with like the track stuff, it makes you, you know, stronger. So I think that they go hand in hand pretty well. Um, but so I am curious, are you changing anything in your training to prepare for world champs? Like other than just adding volume, like, are you doing anything more specific or is it like stuff that you've kind of done for the past year already?
2: Um so it's tough like I feel like the last year has been like okay we've been doing this but I think like shifting it to this way is going to be the best thing long term um so yeah after thailand it was like if I want to be really good in 3 to 5 years I think I need 2 years of fairly big volume um so kind of got to start that now I don't know how that's going to go at Sunapee. it might shoot me in the foot who knows um, so then shifted to that now it's kind of tough. Cause it looks like Austria is super, super runnable, which I'm last year would have been pumped about this year. Not that pumped about, <laughs> um, I think the classic course is something like 39% pavement or something crazy. It's like,
1: yeah, it looks a little weird. Uh,
2: yeah. I don't know why <laughs> that's what it would be. whatever so for that for example here it makes no sense for me to go do like go to the whites and do a bunch of steep climbing like there's a bunch of places i could get very steep if it was somewhere else i would go up and run with eric and there's this one trail called like hellbrook it goes up where like Stowe is and it's like 2100 feet of climbing the first mile it's like it's pretty tough um And then like, that just doesn't make sense. So I think for this, I'm just basically going to ski Hills and trying to get runnable steep, ascents. Um, yeah, I can't tell if it's going to be better to focus on the vertical or the classic race for me, if it was, I think I might be in better shape, like for a sky race at the moment, but I can't tell. Um, but then again, like last year changed, like all my training. And it was like all of a sudden, attempting to do a lot of vert. And since everything out here is pretty techy, you're like jumping down stuff. any descent, you're just like leaping and jumping. and I think it crushes your legs. And I was still kind of getting used to lifting, but I think last night was like the first time I've lifted in like a year. Like so trying to get back into lifting now, um, I think it was introducing too many like new stimulus at the same time. and um, wanted the focus to be on actually being able to run, not being able to lift. So I think kicked out lifting for the last year and then try and get back to it. Now we'll see how sore I am today. <laughs> <laughs> totally tell what'll happen. Um, yeah, then like on occasion, it's like, I think a track workout makes sense. So like this past week I did a track workout. Um, Yeah still trying to figure it out. I think you can't get too far away from either side of stuff like you have to be able to climb really well. Um and that takes a certain kind of training, but if you can't run, you're also at a disadvantage. Um I will say the last year of no lifting and just doing mountain stuff has I felt quite good lifting. Like I felt like I had been lifting the whole time. I felt like I'd made improvements which I was not expecting, but yeah, Yeah,
1: you've just been doing squats down a mountain for a whole year. So well,
2: it was interesting because in college, basically kind of a long story, but basically no lifting, definitely not allowed to lift. I wasn't allowed, I wasn't allowed to do push-ups or pull-ups or anything like that. And then like no strides, no quick track stuff. And so when I started lifting out here, it was like, Holy crap, this is so new and so weird. Um, yeah. So it's been like keeping shifting things. I feel like
1: one year you left one year, you don't, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That's funny. So you've looked at the course a little bit, obviously. And, um, like, I guess it's going to be more runnable. You think I, I haven't looked much at the, at the two short course races, but, um, what what do you, do you have like a plan going into the race? Like, what do you think I guess is, is going to be your strength in, in these two, um, the vertical and the mountain.
2: So I have no idea last year. I'll say in the vertical race, I felt so good for like 13 minutes or something. I remember looking at down at my watch and being like, Holy crap. Like I'm going to podium in the vertical race. And then the legs came apart like so bad, so bad. I was tramping and like just barely moving. Um, and then I think I just crushed myself. Didn't know I was racing the classic race yet. And then the classic race was like kind of crap. I just felt like I couldn't push super hard. It was like 15th in the classic race. Um, yeah, in Thailand at Worlds. Um, I have no idea how to approach it. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it's kind of, it, it's so much different than racing on the track. Like if you're, if someone's going out like way too hard, I think it's harder to go out way over your head in a, in a mountain race. Like you're just more limited by how fast you're going to climb. And then I'd like to be the vertical race. I just don't think there's much thinking. I, I, I don't know. That could be totally off base.
1: Um, You just got to go out and like redline for as long as possible. Just is what it is.
2: Yeah, the classic race, so it's two laps. Um, I think I would like to climb the first lap, you know, controlled, and then I think on the descent, it'll stuff will start shaking out. I I have no idea. I don't know. Um, Yeah. Sunapee, like my plan was, I. At Sunapee in the classic race, I woke, up, I, would like woke up that, I woke up that morning and like my legs are trashed. I feel terrible. Like I don't wanna race this at all, but it's classic that people do the mountain like vertical then classic race double. And I was like, I have to get used to this. I have to figure out how to do it. And so um, it's like, I guess I'm just doing it. I hope I get top 10. And then I was like, if, if for some reason, like I'm running well, I do not want to lead until the last like half mile. And then got up to the top, had let the top couple people go and they were like away. And then we started descending and I was like, just don't take any risks, like just run controlled. And then kind of like all of a sudden was like found myself leading. I'm, like, all right, well, if I'm running, not if I'm not pressing and I'm not like taking any risks, it's kind of just free time, I think. So then I'm like, if I can be leading going into the last climb, then, then I just don't have to climb as hard, I think. So maybe that's the plan is just like controlled first two thirds of the race or something. And then it figures out where it's at on its own. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, I was personally surprised to see how much tarmac that is, there is on the classic race. Like when you start and then you go and you start to end the first loop and then you go into the second loop. Um, I think that'll be fun. You'll be probably like running through town and stuff like that. Uh, And then it's kind of confusing because it says like path and stuff, too, on the course, which like sometimes in Europe, it's kind of really it's like gravel with the cow gates kind of sometimes or it'll have like this metal it's basically where the water goes when it rains so it comes down the mountain and doesn't go down the trails exactly um and that stuff if you fall in it it hurts it like you can like your skin is just gone and raw but if you can balance yourself you can go wicked fast on that like easily sub fives all day. Um, but it's kind of, it's like a weird balance. It depending if you're coming off of a technical single track anyways. Uh, but yeah, I was talking to Grayson Murphy about this course too, like earlier this week and just how it's probably going to be pretty quick. Um, and then once you're there too, I'm sure you're going to check it out.
2: Well, that's yeah. If you guys have any actual, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that, but, but yeah, I think like Grayson is going to be in great in a great spot for that. Cause like, she's been doing so much, um, like she was focusing on a half all winter. And so like, I think that plays out super well for her. Um, yeah, I don't know if it does for me.
0: Um, <laughs> uh, well, that's awesome, Dan. I love that you're shooting for the top 10. I'm guessing in both of the events, right.
2: Um, yeah. Vertical is let like, see how it shakes out. I don't, <laughs> really, I definitely don't feel as confident on that. Like, yeah I think for most stuff on a in the classic race I'm like probably most limited by climbing and so then you climb up with people then I'm like okay whatever spot I'm in I I figure I will hold on the descent but then the vertical it's like I don't know some of those guys climb so fast and I'm not I'm definitely not like I don't, I don't know. I might just not be great at it. I don't, I just don't
0: know. You're, you'll, it just takes some more practice and like just exposure and figuring out what you like. Like I learned pretty early on. I don't like VKs <laughs> yeah. and that's just like, it's not my jam. I like four to five hours. I like having that time and yeah. being able to be tactical like that. And so, yeah, you'll just kind of learn what you like and what you're good at. Yeah. Um, so slight detour. Can you give us, before we talk about more past world champs this year, um, like van life, where did that originate from? What's, what does that look like day to day, week to week? Give us a little bit of overview for the folks.
2: Well, right now it's super cushy cause I'm dog sitting. Uh, so that's, that's easy. Um, though I am sleeping in the van, so it's not, it's not entirely separated yet. Um, I don't know. I've always, not always, definitely not always, but I'd say during that same kind of window where I realized trail running was a thing and like you could do kind of professionally, um, it started being like, oh, it just makes so much sense to be able to just like be where you like, I don't know. It's not like I'm far from like being in the whites or like, um, which is like the white mountains in New Hampshire or whatever. But if it's like an hour to get to the other side of stuff and like go from the other side of the mountain, you're like, an hour is kind of annoying. And, you know, if you could just go there tonight, you want to do something in the morning, you could just wake up there. I don't know. It makes so much sense uh, in my head. I don't feel super attached to, I don't know. It's like, if you can sleep well and you can eat, then it all works. And so the first thing I was nervous about was, can I sleep well? And then I was sleeping well and I was like, all right, this is sweet. Um, I don't know. I I have always kind of done a like road trip in the summers. Um, So I've driven across country probably like, it might be more than 10 times now. I don't know. It's many times. and. I just started thinking about it more and more and kind of kept being like, no, it's too scary. Like, I don't want to make that jump. And then this winter I was like, yeah, it makes way more sense with mountain stuff. Like when I was training on the track, I wanted to do it, but I'm like, the track is in town. Like it doesn't really, yeah, it it doesn't make that much sense. Um, but this winter I had a friend who, you know, we had been planning, we've always talked about doing like a you know, training camp trip out West. And then, um, we were going to do it in his parents' RV. And then that fell through and I was like, all right, whatever, I'm just going to buy a van and we're going to go do it. Um, and so bought like a 40 year old van, very cheaply. And, uh, yeah, went out West and trained and we both kind of like learned how to ski. (laughs) Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think it makes a lot of sense for mountain training stuff. I think, um, I don't know if if I picture like racing out in the, in the U S this summer, it's like, I hate staying in a hotel flying sucks. All that stuff kind of is frustrating and takes you out of your routine and like, yeah, travel kind of sucks. So if you could sleep in your own bed the night before a race, that's awesome. Um, it's definitely not perfect. Like,
0: and by your own bed, you mean the van, right?
2: Yeah. I mean, I have like a queen, yeah, yeah. Size, queen size bed in the van. Nice. Like <laughs>
0: um, Did you build it out yourself?
2: It was like 50-50. So like the bed platform was in there and stuff. But then I like, I don't know, I soldered a new, I soldered a faucet and like put a sink in and put in like a stove. And uh, yeah, it's, it's an ongoing process though, for sure. Like it's an old Van and so that just needs some stuff. Uh, had no idea what I was doing on any of that and just like tried to figure out as we went. Um, yeah, my brother was working at Home Depot and so we just I would just like go in and spend so much time at Home Depot and then like try to figure out what to do and then we'd like bounce ideas off each other and um, yeah, I'd say mostly successful. There is no heat in the van oof So for the winter it was <laughs> pretty cold um and you just have to have a really really good sleeping bag <laughs> yeah so i bought like a there was a race i did here that got i had like a hundred and fifty dollar gift card to the like outdoor gear exchange which is up in like burlington so i went up and it was like early winter and um so all the camping gear was on super sale so then i bought like Somehow I got like a North Face zero degree bag for like 80 bucks. I was like super pumped on that. And like, yeah, I definitely like sleeping cold. And so that's all been pretty fine. Um, even in flag this winter, definitely did not use the zero degree most nights, just kind of like a comforter. Um, yeah.
1: And does your van have a name yet?
2: No, I, I can't settle on one. What are what are your top three options right now? Yeah, <laughs> we
1: could have the people um, vote yeah,
2: on most, it. <laughs> most of them are probably uh, not utterable on a podcast. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I don't know. Very open to ideas, but I don't know.
1: I, I For all the we, Dan Kurtz fans out there, slide into his DMs with some uh, some band name ideas.
2: <laughs> yeah, if there's good ones, I will definitely repost them. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I think it's like an ongoing process. I view it as it's like the ship of Theseus kind of thing. It's like piece by piece, the whole thing is rebuilt. And then, is it even the still the the same van at the end of things, or what is it? (laughs) So
0: (laughs) philosophical. (laughs) So if somebody was listening to this podcast and they're super inspired, they're like, you know what, Dan lives in a van. I'm gonna live in a van now. This, I'm gonna train and get to races. What would be like the top pros and the top cons that you would tell them?
2: Um, yeah, definitely. You're not going to shower every single day. Like <laughs> that's probably, I think going to turn the most people off of it. I'm like, like uh, I don't know. It's not, it's not the biggest deal in the world for sure. Um, I think cooking at first is probably the biggest frustration. Cause it's like, I don't know. I think initially you're like, oh, I'm just going to cook all the normal stuff. But then there's like little inconveniences that you're like, oh, I didn't quite have that figured out. Um, I'll say for the most part, it's been totally great. Like um, the tough part, I guess, is parking it. Where do you figure out parking for the night? Um, but if someone's feeling adventurous, I would definitely recommend it. Although Flagstaff in the winter place to do it, I think. Like, there's no good place to park. I was like at freaking Cracker Barrel the whole time. Was, like, this is this is kind of a nightmare. <laughs> this is not this is not that like you know rich girl van life thing. This yeah,
1: because a- <laughs> yeah, in the summer in Flagstaff, there's like a, obviously there's if you know anything about Flagstaff, there's tons of dirt roads. But in the winter, I imagine like getting an, out into that BLM land is a nightmare.
2: I had no idea. So all the so like here, all of our dirt roads, like Vermont is more dirt roads than paved roads. Like it's super cool. But they're all well like traveled and like they've people have always lived on them. And so it's like if it's they get quite cloud. Snow, yeah. If it's quite snowy, the dirt roads are the best footing. Cause like, I don't know, through the winter it's just like the snow builds up and then you have just like a bed of snow on the dirt. And then they just put dirt over the snow. And so it's like perfect footing and they're all open. The only things I guess for roads that aren't open are like some of the like mountain pass roads and they just like, but yeah, since most of our stuff isn't, I don't don't know. I just figured all the dirt roads were going to be open. Like, and nothing was open. You couldn't get on them. I started looking it up. I'm like, so what happens if I do? And I'm like, oh, it can be a big fine. Like it's not cool um and so it's like all right i guess the fallback is like walmart but then the flag both walmart there's two walmarts and flagstaff both of them are closed to like overnight parking and i was like what i thought this was like universal yeah and i did too it, no it's it's like walmart by walmart apparently it's very odd i think flag had an issue with uh fire season with people from the like dirt roads who were parked out there like all probably went to Walmart and then they closed it down. You can't park there. Um, So I was like, oh man, like all of a sudden I have no idea what the plan is. This is like the first night in flag, Um, maybe the second night. I think the first night we slept up at Snowball. And then (laughs) we're like, what the hell do we do? So we're like at Walmart driving down the road. It's like, I don't know, it's dark. It's probably like after 10 or something at this point. Like no idea what to do. And we pass Cracker Barrel. And there's like 40 50 rigs at Cracker Barrel like apparently that's where we're staying I don't know what the deal is but everyone is there and it's like the Cracker every, Barrel RV park yeah so weird but everything from like super sketchy set up like minivans that are like totally busted to like someone's $300,000 sprinter um so yeah it was a lot of time it, we were either at uh Cracker barrel or up on the mountain.
1: That's so funny. Cracker
2: barrel. Yeah, was like, I was. didn't even
1: know that the, that cracker barrels existed, like on, on on the West Coast, like being from the south, they're everywhere. But I don't know that I've ever seen one over here. So <laughs> I'm I impressed by that alone.
2: Their whole deal, I think, is like RV people for some reason. I think it might be uh, an age group targeting thing. Definitely. <laughs>
1: They got their rocking chairs out front. You don't even have to bring your camp chairs.
2: Yeah, no, it was, it was super interesting. And then like the craziest part was they were slammed all the time. There was one of the first mornings I was like, all right, if I'm going to park in their parking lot, like it makes sense. Like I would like to patronize the business or whatever. So like I went inside and it's not even 8am. They're like, yeah, it's like a 30, 35 minute wait. I'm like, okay, well, I really don't want to eat at Cracker Barrel anyway. Like I'm going to, I'm going to go back out to the van probably.
1: Dan is not looking for a Cracker Barrel sponsor.
2: So no,
1: maybe, not, maybe at one point, but
2: not anymore. Our brands align, maybe in like, you know, 40, 50 years.
1: Maybe.
0: Yeah. Their head of marketing's like, dang it. We really wanted Dan.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so where, where can we find you and your van this year are the summer and going on into the fall?
2: yeah trying to piece together racing schedule still it's kind of tough because i don't i don't know the landscape like totally admittedly don't totally know what to do um i think um i was trying to get into quebec mega trail and i guess i was late on that and so i had emailed and then like kind of got they were like yeah we're actually full and i was like oh no um so if anyone has a contact with the Quebec mega trail 25 K I would love to do that. And, um, kind of in the backyard would just drive up to Quebec. It would be super easy. So if anyone has a contact there or is racing, it was going to race it. And now is not let me know. Um, cause yeah, that was like golden trail kind of like Avenue of things. Um, now I'm like, do I go do a couple races in Europe? Do I go do Cirque series stuff and just like camp out in Utah, Colorado area and train out there? Um, yeah, definitely for the next probably two months or so, month and a half, I'll be out here. Um, out here is just new, the Northeast, I guess. Um,
1: other than when you're in Austria.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There will be like a 10 day Austria stint there which still don't know what to expect. Um, yeah, so then just trying to race out here. And then um, there's a handful of races, like XTERRA Trail World Champs is in Sugarloaf, Maine. Um, so excited about that. That's like end of September or first day of October. I think it's the whole festival's both days. Um, so out here for then, probably just bouncing around mostly. Well, well if you're I'll-
1: looking to do golden trail stuff, you should just, uh, in, um, in, in September, take your van to Pike's peak, park at Pike's peak, do the ascent and then take your van to mammoth and do the mammoth trail fest.
2: Yeah, definitely interested in mammoth mammoth sounds awesome. Um, no idea how I will fare racing that high. Um, but it looks sweet. So, um, would definitely like to do mammoth. Uh, what are the other ones? I think some of the Cirque series races just look super fun. I'm definitely like thinking about Kendall, that's like July 9th, I believe. Um, might be a bit early because I don't think I'll be adjusted to altitude because Kendall's like quite high. Um, I think that's probably my biggest concern with racing super high is that like you're just at a disadvantage if you're not living at altitude. Um, last year, Eric Lupuma, who I train with. Um, we're good friends. He he raced the 52k at Mammoth. Um, no, it was Broken Arrow. Yeah, it was Broken Arrow. Sorry. Um, the two in my head are yeah, both at altitude. Yeah, and he was like, he ran great. Like, I think if the race was a little longer, he might have ended up winning. And he he ended up getting second. Um, he was like, I don't know, dude. I didn't even feel the altitude. Like, the trails were so smooth that like I think it just I think it just ne- like canceled each other out. Like no technicality versus like no altitude I think kind of evened out I don't know if I believe in that but we'll, we'll see <laughs> I think I might throw myself throw myself to the wolves a little bit and see if yeah. it works
0: well you can always park your van like in the eastern sierra for a little bit and train out here get yeah, a little dream. acclimated yeah that was, There's- my
2: plan. that was my plan this winter and then mammoth was getting like so nuked that I was like seems potentially dangerous if I don't have heat, if like the van does not like being cold cause it's diesel as well. And it's an old like eight cylinder diesel that just does not like being cold. Um, so I thought Mammoth was potentially a big mistake. So didn't end up going out to Mammoth cut short, like even on the trip, I was going to go out to Mammoth and then we were in flag and I was like, I think we're staying in flag, not going to go to Mammoth. <laughs> um, so yeah probably just bounce around quite a bit this summer hoping the van stays in one piece.
1: Yeah. The Eastern Sierras are a dream. If you need some altitude trading this summer though.
2: Yeah. It looks sweet. Like being able to base out of like Bishop when you need to like dropping down a bit lower for speed stuff and then going up to Mammoth area. It's like, there's just so much terrain out there that looks awesome. Um, I've, I've driven through before and camped out in Mammoth, um, so yeah, that's definitely like, if not this summer, one of the summers in the next couple of years. Um, Cause it does look sweet. The only thing with altitude that I'm still, I just still don't totally understand. It's like, uh, you obviously can't get the same like power output at altitude. And so you're limited by the aerobic side. So then it's like, how does that transfer? Just totally theoretically. Like, I don't, I don't know how, how would that transfer to like racing in Europe? Cause it's like, in Europe, you have to be able to run like faster and steeper. And it's so, like running steep is obviously tough, like musculoskeletal wise. And like, yeah, I, I, just, I just don't know how everything works. I
1: like, can, so. I can say from personal experience and Danny might also be able to like, every time I go to like sea level or, I mean, Europe's not quite at sea level, but it's close enough. Like obviously running up trails, like we can't get as fast here, but, um, when you start to run on those trails at sea level, like your legs and lungs don't burn in the same way as they do at altitude. Yeah. So you like get out there and you're like, Oh, I could do this all day. Like, yeah, yeah I might not be as fast as everybody else, but like I, I could keep running up this hill for hours. And <laughs> whereas when you're at altitude, you get to the top of a mountain and you're like, Oh my god, I gotta like take a second to like recover and get back into my my brain a little bit. Um, so it's like you, I think it's you're not maybe not quite as like sharp, but you can just like hammer into the ground all day long. Yeah. yeah. That's how I
0: and especially it's, in Europe, usually the races, again, we're doing those kind of longer races, right? Like two, three, four, five, six hours. And those races have multiple climbs. And so you can just hammer every climb like it's not like you're losing your gas after the first climb and you could usually sustain each climb and Europe really isn't that low like if you're racing in Chamonix you're still getting up to like 7,000 feet at some points yeah yeah
2: it's interesting because like when I that was the thing I've noticed the most from this winter like my legs are they don't feel the same like The first couple, like at Sunapee, I was like, holy crap. I should have been like maybe running more. I just felt weak, like couldn't totally tell. Um, So, yeah, I I don't know what the move is. I need to figure that out.
1: (laughs) It's all a learning process. And the more you race, the more you'll learn, too. It's like sometimes it's not even always about training. It's just about getting into the races. At least that was my experience last year.
2: Well, what are you guys like favorite, like a little sub hub kind of shout out thing? Like what are the what are the best US races this summer for someone hoping to race not above 30 K?
1: <laughs> I, one of my favorite races is definitely a uh, broken arrow but that's probably a little bit like weird with world champs. So I think my, my second would be, um, I did, I did Pike's peak ascent last year and especially for somebody like you, who's really good at climbing, like that race was so cool huh. to, to be able to run to the top of a 14 er during a race. And it hurts whether you train at altitude or not. So I think it's, uh, it's kind of like an equalizer because everything over 10,000 hurts no matter what.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah,
0: I would say probably what's ever, ever in the golden trail world series this year, because Like you'll just have competition there that'll push you. Um, So Pike's Peak and Mammoth, and you could kind of see how you stack up against some of the world's best in the U.S. So that's pretty cool. Broken Arrow, the rut is always a really good one just because there's a lot of history there. And so you could like see your times compared to like Killian Journette, right? He's run the rut. So you can like see where he was when he was younger. Um, And it's beautiful and it's a beautiful course. Um I think the Cirque series is really good just for like punchy and like getting used to that. Um I'm trying to think what else. You can even G- be
1: just like good training races.
0: Yeah, yeah. like really so, good training races.
2: That's the interesting thing is like you start looking at the schedule and you start piecing together it's like if you want to do Pike's Peak, Mammoth and the Rut, it's like I think you can only do like one of those. They're all in like this middle of September, right? It's yeah. like it's tough. Um,
1: but the, then, the ascent to mammoth is, is not terrible just because it's all uphill the first weekend.
2: Yeah. 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 Like you can do that. But then I think, you know, the rut is out, but then yeah. it's, that's the kind of thing I'm trying to piece together right now. you're like, the schedule is just tough. Cause I would love to do broken arrow, but if I'm, I'm racing the seventh and the 10th in Austria, and then Broken Arrow is like the 16th or something. And so Austria to like California is like terrible travel. I don't want to do that anyway. And then also like time adjust back and then try to race the next week. And I'm like, it's probably going to trash me for like the next six weeks anyways to do three races in that time on top of travel. It's like probably a bad call for the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Maybe
0: next year. It's, yeah. It's like, yeah. And it's so different per person. Cause I know people that are doing that double that are doing worlds and then doing broken arrow. Um, and you just kind of like figure out what works for you. Like personally, I found I raced way too much when I first started trail running and I would burn out before the big races like three years in a row. And I just like, didn't know. I was just like, well, it seems like everyone else is racing every weekend. So I should be racing every weekend. And I want to do all these fun races. And then I would say these last three years, I've gotten a lot better. And now I can like show up to big races is what I'm finding. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You need like so much base behind you to fall back on if you're going to race that much. And it's like so hard early because you also need to race to figure out what it's like. And then you have to, it's like how, what, what, where do you put your eggs in what basket? Um, I don't know. I'm also curious as to like what direction of things like you guys think is interesting. Like, cause there's so many avenues and that's why I think the sub ultra stuff is the coolest. Cause it's like, um, there's so many options. There's so many like short FKTs, right. There's like only so many ultra distance FKTs that are, kind of, that can be that interesting because it's like if something is too manufactured it's just not that cool uh, like if you're like oh i'm just gonna do five loops of this you're like well i feel like one loop is makes the most sense it's like the most aesthetic thing It like whatever um so like there's there's so many sides of it there's like there's like the fkt side there's the circ series side of things where it's like more technical like fast pace. You know, steep ascents, steep descents. And then there's like the whole Golden Trail side, there's the World Mountain Running Association. Like, that's a super cool series. But I think in the US, we don't care about it for some reason, even though it's, you know, they actually are doing drug testing. They're doing like a whole series of races that are all in cool places. It's just mostly in Europe. Um, I don't know. There's so many like little avenues to, Take um, just interested on what you guys are kind of excited about for any of that. Oh man, big question! I, we're we're
1: excited about all of it. <laughs> we just like we're we're kind of in the same headspace as you, I think, where it's like we just want to get people into sub ultra because it just seems like it's so under the radar still. And I think it's gaining traction, like um, with all the media that surrounds it these days. But like we just want to make this. A sport that people want to watch and like care about because it is so accessible for so many people because it's like such a shorter event. So you don't have to do like you know, a 30-mile long run on the weekend to train for a hundred K. Like you can do so much less. So it makes more sense for like the general public to get into this.
2: Yeah. And I think that I think that's one of the things initially that was drawing me more to trail stuff is like the media side of things is so much more, it's so much more interesting. Like if you see a video of a even the best road race in the world versus like the finisher, like that climate Sanctus Broody or whatever that climate Sagama is, you're like, obviously Zagama is way, way sicker. Like it's just not comparable. But then even within that sphere, it's like someone... Bombing down like a sub ultra race like this scent versus someone at like UTMB, even like in the 100 mile race, just like slogging up a hill. They're like stomachs destroyed. They're like, you know, not even moving, like trying not to poop their pants. It's like the sub ultra stuff is just like way cooler. And I think it just lends itself better to media stuff. And so I do think long term. With that having such sway on things, I think it probably wins out. I don't know. I think we'll see.
0: Yeah. I think there's definitely a shift in the sport happening right now. And it has started with money, like just straight up with golden trail, putting more money out there. And that has quickly attracted, you know, the best or most of the best sub ultra runners to go there. Um, But I think it's like the media aspect to, to like, to me, what you just explained with like seeing an ultra runner, like pushing their limits versus the sub ultra runner, having been to hundred mile races, like, I think that's just as exciting, but to like the average viewer, yes. Like nine times, nine times out of 10, they're going to see the downhiller and want to watch that. Um, So I think, for us like tapping into that basically like fan base and like creating more monetization, then it's like a big feedback loop. And so the easiest, you know, part of the sport to put in front of people is sub ultra, so I think that's why it's picking up so much traction. Is like it's very catchy and it's exciting and it's easy to digest for someone who doesn't even know what mountain running is. Whereas with an ultra, they're like, "All right, I'm watching this person for 24 hours go pretty slow. Like, <laughs> what's going on here?" Um, so I think that's it's kind of like the evolution of this feedback loop that didn't exist before, and that also is coming at like a And because we're able to do stuff like Starlink and like get more Wi-Fi and like, we're actually able to have it catch up to the modernization of technology
2: with the sport. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not trying to say like one is better than the other. Oh yeah.
0: No, for sure. Yeah. We get what you're saying.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Looking at reels on Instagram or something, it's like tough to argue to the general public, like it's very obviously impressive to see someone doing something fast, right? Like it's just kind of flashier. Um, and obviously if I tried to do a hundred mile race, like I would get completely destroyed. Like (laughs) it's not like one is better than the other or something, but it's, I can see how one would do quite well online. Um, but then even there's like, as a race director, it's gotta be a complete disaster to try to have permits and stuff for a super long race. That's not just, like, like I said, like loops, like if you want a great race course, I think it has to be somewhat, um, like make intuitive sense. Like you're like, start here and then you finish on top of the mountain or like you go to the top of the mountain and you get back to town. It's like that stuff, I think just makes so much sense. Like, I think that's how your brain kind of works mostly. And so I, I just think that probably played out quite nicely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's a little easier to do in Europe because like in the U S we have national forests and the state parks and you have to get like permits for nearly everybody, any race that you do. Um, And so it's a lot harder to do the ultra (laughs) the UTMB loop somewhere because they literally can just run that loop while people are just hiking it. And it's like a trail that's
1: existed for like (laughs) hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. I feel like we yeah. could talk about this all day. Yeah. I feel like you just opened a can of worms. Yeah. But uh, I, th- I think we should uh, probably call it at this point <laughs> before we all get too much into it.
0: We'll have to have another one. Yeah. The philosophical I would, I would running to. talk with Dan. Go
1: I've
2: got a list of things for sure. So we'd love to do that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have to have you back for sure. Yeah. I love that. Um, well, Yeah. Thank you for joining us. And, uh, we're excited to see how worlds goes for you as well as the rest of the year. And, uh, yeah, go follow Dan on social media. I think you're just Dan Kurtz on Instagram, right? I
2: think so.
1: Yeah. Kurtz is C U R T S not Curtis or with a K. So, uh, he's also on Strava.
2: Definitely much more active on Strava. I could, I could post more on Instagram. Um, yeah if anyone has any race wrecks as well (laughs) let me know what they are Um,
1: yeah Dan needs van name recs and race wrecks, so hit him up
2: (laughs) basically yeah thank you guys very much this is awesome
1: absolutely thanks for joining uh this
0: has been the sub hub pod brought to you by free trail